Baker Podcast Maker, the food podcast series where we get to know a little bit more about the foods people enjoy, from recipe favourites to biscuit chat. So, Jack, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, um, I'm Jack, uh, otherwise known as the Yorkshire Gourmet on Instagram. Um, I'm, what can I say about myself? I'm 23 recent graduate from uh, Cambridge University, uh, not putting any of the knowledge that I learned at uni to any good use and spending all my time cooking, basically. Um, that's what I want to do. Food writing, all of that kind of good stuff. So yeah, that's basically me. Kind of sums up my personality. Food, greed, appetite. <laughs> all good things. Totally on the same wavelength. And listeners, if you haven't already checked out Jack's food blog, is that what we're calling it? Um, then you definitely should it'll be linked everywhere but if you haven't have a look now okay how about some food questions that sounds really good more than how to talk about food anytime <laughs> that's what i need for a food podcast fabulous thanks right okay so what did you have for supper last night so supper last night was kind of a really sort of restrained affair i don't go in for complex dinners weekday dinners especially when it's been so hot here in the united kingdom it has to be really easy for me so it was just a case of a chicken curry noodle soup kind of you know a quick broth nothing too complicated just a lot of good flavor some chicken some noodles a really nice base with some onions and some carrot to sort of really sort of give it a nice savory depth and then i'm a massive fan of just using ordinary bog standard curry powder so that's like that is my secret ingredient so many people like they're so sniffy about it and everything but for me for a quick dinner you can't go wrong and noodles any form of noodles i'm i'm there like noodles are my go-to comfort dish totally really yeah i i I think they're sort of i don't know for me even though they're very similar to pasta they have a bit more excitement to pasta um and all the different types of noodles for me that's just like the whole spectrum you know we i used egg noodles last night but i feel like it would have been good with maybe some rice vermicelli for maybe a more sort of lighter thai style broth and then you can go udon if you want that sort of chewiness uh, i don't know I, I i feel like i mean i eat way too many noodles way too many <laughs> no i don't think there's enough noodles i think that's great but i feel like how you feel about noodles is how i feel about pasta so okay yeah i mean i feel like it's got to be because I, I no way snobby and i kind of go against all that snobbiness but I really do feel like if you can, it's really worth investing in good pasta. I feel like the sort of cheap pasta can kind of, it serves its purpose and you know, it it, do, it does great if you've got like an amazing sauce. But I just think if you can get some like really nice pasta that's maybe like bronze dyed and it's got all the ridges in it and it kind of, it really like enhances a pasta dish to another level. So I think that's where I'm at with like pasta now. Like I'll be like, okay, maybe I won't eat so much of it. Like I would like a, a ton of pasta with sauce but i'll eat less but by like a, a really good like sort of you know bronze dyed rigatoni is my favorite what's your favorite pasta shape i don't know how you say it um fusilli fusilli okay yeah and i know that's quite a basic yeah. favorite it's either that or tagliatelle i love both of those and i eat them 
so many times a week is probably not a good thing to admit. See, I think that's great. I mean, I think that, I think Tagliatelle is great. Even better for me is Papadelli. I love it because oh, it's nice. so that sort of ribbons and to me there's just this fabulous recipe that like I always go to which is um she is my food inspiration Nigella Lawson her lamb ragu with pappardelle is hands down the best pasta recipe in my book I mean the idea of combining like what is essentially like a bolognese but then with like dried mint and red currant to me it is just sublime so easy to make and it just I mean it makes like a spag ball it takes a spag ball to another different level and i also i'm not the biggest fan of spaghetti because i just don't think it holds on to sauce as much as i would like it to that's very fair and thanks for that i love nigella as well so i'm sure we'll speak about her later on in this okay so what was your favorite kind of food while you were growing up favorite kind of food growing up well growing up i can't say that i really took a great interest in food up until sort of my early teenagers I would say I didn't really grow up in a foodie environment my mum she won't mind me saying this um she says it herself quite often she's not a cook she doesn't really love eating and I suppose I grew up in a very sort of classic um working class northern sort of household so that meant your typical meat and two veg and obviously back then veg included potatoes potatoes with everything um and you know I kind of I grew up eating that and I've kind of obviously like expanded my horizons now but I still have so much love for that sort of nostalgic comfort food that I grew up eating so my mum's signature is a beef stew beef stew has to be I mean it couldn't be any more simple it is literally onions carrots um, and then huge, unwieldy chunks of potato. Um, come on to the fact that even though it had potato in the stew, it had to have mashed potato with it. So double carbs, double potato actually needed to be there. Had to be there. And um, yeah, those big chunky p- pieces of swede or turnip. And then, um, you know, I mean, I mean, what is the sauce? We're not talking like a red wine sort of sauce here. We're talking, you know, Bisto gravy granules and that'll do the job. But it's what comes with it that's important, I think. Yeah. I have such a fondness for two things and they are Yorkshire puddings. Obviously being yeah. a Yorkshire myself, I am evangelical about Yorkshire puddings and the fact that so many people don't see them as a necessary part to a roast dinner across the country. I mean, I don't know what to say to them. I think that that's just, you know, they're a heathen if they don't have a Yorkshire pudding on a roast dinner. <laughs> Um, but even better, I grew up absolutely adoring suet. I love a dumpling really? stew and dumplings. I don't really particularly want to think about what it is. I don't really need to know it's the fat from around a cow's kidney. But, you know, as a dumpling on top, soaks up all the juice from underneath where the stew is, gets a nice bit of like crispiness on top, you know, leave the casserole dish off. So that's kind of like my mum's cooking. So that's like what I think I find really exciting and comforting you know when I think about what I grew up with but there's just this other thing I was thinking about actually and it was um I had a real fondness when I was little for omelettes real fondness really? really because I mean I love eggs anyway I mean I will eat them you know whatever yeah I think you can't go wrong with eggs but it was my auntie that really got me into omelettes because she was was I say was is a formidable woman um, and when I was small I always used to go and stay with her at the weekend and that meant going on a Friday and then we'd go to do the sort of the weekly shop you know and we'd do all the rounds we'd do 
Sainsbury's, Asda, and we'd always end up in Morrison's because my my auntie, she is like a yellow sticker hunter. Like she is a savvy, savvy bargain oriented lady. And I loved that growing up. So the idea that you could go and like just snag a bargain and then cook something amazing, you know, when you came home. So Sundays at her, Sunday mornings would always be omelettes and it would just be using whatever odds and sods she'd sort of bought from her yellow sticker hunting. And it would always, always, always include the omelettes would always have, I mean, they could have like different bits of cheeses that she'd bought. Like I remember her making a goat's cheese omelette once and I thought that was disgusting as an eight-year-old. <laughs> they always had to have frozen peas in them. Always. Yeah. And even to this day, I still don't really like a frozen pea if it's fully cooked because she would always have them so that they were just on the right side, just on the wrong side of cooked, sort of. They, they still have a little bit of iciness to them. A, a, a bit too <laughs> much pie. So I, I still love that. So, yeah, an, an, an omelette and stew and just, you know, plenty of potatoes. Yeah. Fantastic. So many lovely food memories. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely, I feel like I grew up in a in a house where food wasn't too important. It was more sort of, you know, food was fuel and, yeah. you know... It, it, it's always the case, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you divide people into people who sort of eat to live and those who live to eat. And now, obviously, I'm the person that sort of lives to eat. But, you know, my parents were just sort of, they didn't really pay attention to the sort of any sort of food culture that was kind of going on. Um, and maybe there wasn't one when they were growing up. So I think it's... Um, I think it's really nice that I have those nostalgic memories. And I think what's great is, you know... Now, like, as, as I've gotten older, it's really great to introduce them to new things. And like, even though they're so, like, reticent about so many new ingredients, you know, they're very, I mean, they're reticent about pasta. I mean, they think pasta is um, flavourless, tasteless. They hate it. And, like, chili, oh, my gosh, they will not eat anything that's hot. But, um, no, good, uh, good memories. Some would say boring. Some would say bland. I say comforting. <laughs> well, I think that's fab. And it's completely true about living to eat um i think that most foodies absolutely just think about food constantly so i just i love that okay so what is your current favorite kind of food oh now that's the thing that is like asking a parent to pick their favorite child isn't it really <laughs> um i wouldn't say that i have a particular favorite sort of cuisine or sort sort of particular food stuff at the moment but I, I what I would say is my favorite kind of food at the moment is always easy I love a one pot I love anything that doesn't take too long to cook and what I'm really sort of getting into and I'm a real advocate for is cooking that is not sort of in spite of the fact that, you know, all my foodie stuff goes through my Instagram. I'm a big fan of food that isn't Instagrammable. And I think that we should really have a renaissance, not even renaissance, because I don't think it was fully appreciated before, ugly food. And I was listening to, um, you know, Grace Dent, you know, restaurant yeah. critic, she's a great writer. Um, and she often talks about her love for beige food. Mm. Um and I think I believe in a similar thing. I, I believe in sort of food that's sort of unassuming and food that isn't incredibly, you know, prissy or sort of pretty looking, I think is often the most delicious. You know, there are, there, there are so many delicious brown foods, beige foods. I think that we sort of, 
as a as a as a as a content creator, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like you can sort of you can get so bogged down in aesthetics. And don't get me wrong, I I, I love things to look nice, but I'd rather rely on sort of you know, nature's colour palette and sort of the wonder of like vegetables and fruits and food as it is, rather than sort of, you know, I got to a point where I felt like I was being saturated with like ombre sort of cakes and all these sorts of very unachievable things. And I think that yeah. people need to know that sort of good food doesn't have to look good. It doesn't take a lot. And, you know, it doesn't have to or like appear in all these like pretty pastel colours. You know, I'm sure there's room for that. Of course there is. But I think what I want is sort of food that has real sort of soul to it. You know, I kind of, I, I want something that, that has a connection to life, to culture, to sort of all that stuff that I value. I think when I was younger, when I first started getting into food and I don't know whether you did this as well, when you f- first started discovering your love for, for, for cooking, you sort of, <laughs> you run before you can walk and you start like attempting really complex things by some yeah. of the, like, yes, you see these recipes and you think, of course I can do what Gordon Ramsay's doing because, you know, I'm 14 and obviously I'm that good. Um, or you think, you know, of course I can spin sugar at the age of 15. And, I, and now at, at 23, I think, why would I want to, you know? Why would I want to? I'll leave that to a patissier. I'll leave that to a master chef. I'm interested in good, easy home cooking that is not expensive, doesn't require too much energy. And I was thinking about this. I There's someone that I really love at the moment. And she's, um, she's so funny and she's so full of soul, I should say this. I don't know whether you've heard of her. She's called Mama Cherry and she has a YouTube channel. Um, and she basically, she was on Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares and she had like a, a, what she called her soul food check in Brighton. And now she has a YouTube channel and she creates the sort of recipes and she calls it soul in a bowl. So obviously she's talking about soul food in relation to sort of deep South cooking and sort of the experiences mm-hmm. of, of, of black people and, and enslaved people. But she's also talking about, you know, food in general that is about, you know, using what you've got, using, you know, making food that doesn't always like look the best, but it tastes fantastic. So I think, you know, I, I love her attitude and her ethos and I'm really sort of getting into that now. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I kind of, what I'd love to see is I'd love to see a recipe book on the shelf where it's just like food that doesn't look good. I want to, I want to see sort of unedited photos of how people actually really eat. That's the sort of thing I think I'd like to see more of. And it's the sort of food that I'm definitely eating at home more right now. I don't know if this is me thinking of my digital marketing brain, but I kind of feel like you need to start a campaign. You need a hashtag. I want to see this. I want to see you creating this hashtag. And um, everyone of our foodie community that I'm sure we have mutuals in um, will hopefully get on board with this because I cannot wait to see that. Because obviously, as you say, as creatives, we, for Instagram majority, um, we make everything look as pretty as it can. It's like the other day. I was really tempted to post my Mackies and then I was like, no, no one wants to see my Mackies order. Um, but now I kind of regret it because I feel like that's the real um, truth of it. I'd unpacked my university master's room and there was no time for cooking in the evening. So I went to Mackies. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I think I love the beauty of food styling. I've, I'm trained in that. Um, so I think it's lovely on a professional shoot, but I do think, as you say, it's creeping into every day. It's almost like it's the done thing. 
everywhere. Yeah, I, I think it's really important. And I think it's a question of authenticity and accountability. I think behind, you know, I have to say, I come from, I, in terms of foodie content creation, I come from a, um, a standpoint, I guess, of writing about food. And I came to the idea of photography and all of that and, and styling very late. And I am really, I, I sort of, I'm in complete awe of people who sort of can create these beautiful layouts. And I think that there is such room for that because, you know, I, I believe that food is art, you know, to an extent. And I think you know, when you open like beautiful cookery books and, and, and you see all that, I think it's fabulous. I think that there has to be just, there has to be a distinction between between that and then people's lived experiences every day. And I think there's room yeah. for both. There has to be room for both. I don't think it's about getting rid of mm-hmm. the idea that, that, that food can be beautiful and sort of combining sort of people's aspirational aspirations of the ways that they want to live their lives with sort of the you know the sort of decor they want and the sort you know because I, I and and sort of table layouts I think I think that's I think that's all fantastic but I think you know like you were saying about the Mackies I think I think it is important to, to just go you know well none of us lives like that every day because I think it's when you have that constant sort of driving pressure that people feel the need that they have to compare themselves to everybody or that you know the the worst thing that I can ever think about food and I think that this is my major gripe is that people should feel that food has any value judgments I think the idea that 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 there is good food and bad food is terrible or or that there are good and bad ways of eating and that if you haven't cooked one night that you are not somehow a I don't want to say a decent person because that, that's a that, that's a broad brushstroke but sort of there is a sort of judgment that comes across especially for instance if you're a you get this impression if you're a working mother and you've got two children and for some reason you don't cook one night and then all you get is oh my god you can't look after your kids because you're not cooking for them and I think that that is that's a sort of judgment that I really want to see sort of leave food food foodie spaces because i i i I think it is so toxic that we sort of believe that you know we have to cook every we have to cook sort of every day every night that also i mean something else i mean coming back to the curry powder in the in the noodle soup and people being so snobby about it you know i think there is so much like oh my gosh you didn't make that from scratch i think there is still a lot of sort of attitude towards people who use shortcuts. I am all for the shortcuts. I mean, my my Instagram is all about shortcuts. You know, why would I want to make somebody's life harder? Of course, you know, homemade pesto is going to have a slight edge on jarred pesto. And, you know, if you make your own spice mixes, sure, they're going to probably have a fresher taste than something that's been sat in a packet for a few months. But is the trade-off... Is the is the physical but also the mental trade off worth it to a lot of people? And when a lot of people just want good food on the table for a reasonable price and with a reasonable amount of effort, I think we've got to. I think I I, I think you've got to be realistic. And, and 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 that's something that I wish more 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 food creators would sort of. I wish that's what they do because I think that sometimes too uh, too a uh, too heavy handed focus on 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 aesthetics. And when you're living, when you're living that experience, and if you are a content creator, and that's all you're doing for for, for 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 a living, and that's sort of what's in your, that is what fills, that is your bread and butter, then you you have to be really mindful of audience, and you have to think, you know, why, you know, do, does this, do I have to 
always be using these sort of recherche ingredients that, you know, I can only get hold of if I go to a special delicatessen. But there's always room for that. This is what I mean. There's room for everything. I feel like food is a broad church. Everybody and everything yeah. is welcome. But, you know, that special cheese that is amazing and I think should be on everybody's table isn't going to be for the vast majority of people. And it might be a treat once a week, once a month, once a year even. So I just think, you know, you've got to be realistic, sort of get rid of snobbery and just sort of, you know, I'm all about ease. I'm all about shortcuts and just like remove, remove, remove judgment. You know, I will always, and to me, to me, I will always, and I don't know about you, but you know, even if I see a properly styled photograph, say for instance, like, um, cakes and stuff like that. I find the beauty of a unadorned Victoria sponge. I find that more beautiful than a heavily buttercreamed, iced, frosted, whatever you want to call it. I like sort of, uh, there's so much beauty in, in everyday things, so much beauty. And I think that, you know, I think, I think, I think we should sort of take solace in that, you know, Yes, definitely. I'm completely agreeing with absolutely everything you're saying. I'm also still thinking I need that hashtag. I feel like we need to bring this into um, Instagram live. Um, And also talking from both perspectives, because I have both perspectives of it, because my undergraduate degree is in photography. um, And I'm a trained food photographer. But I love my daily food blog because I don't put pressure on myself to style things Mm. that's why I created it because I post every day about the food I'm actually eating and I would much I mean I I love highly produced shoot images they are beautiful to me I buy magazines because I love seeing things like that I have my portfolio Instagram so I can see all that high-end stuff but I love and spend majority of my time on my daily food blog because I take everything on my iPhone. I film everything on my iPhone. I make sure that if it is styled, you can tell it's styled. It's not, I haven't done, oh, this is casual, casual me, just with a table set up. No, you will know that. I will literally say, oh, I've set this up for a lunch or... And I just think I'm totally with you. I just kind of feel like if you don't wish to have your, what people might say are outtakes or not the most beautiful images on your feed, I just wish more people would share it on their stories because I love seeing things like that. I don't know about you, but I'm nosy about things like that. So I love seeing that content. So I just feel like totally, totally, we just... Yeah, I think I think you know I I want to see how 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 people really eat. I, I you know that that that's what interests me. I want to see, you know, how somebody tackles a bowl of pasta sat on the sofa, you know, curled up, which is harder than when you're sat at a table because that's what we all do and we all splash it all over ourselves and everything like that. I want that sort of realness to food, and I, and I, and I think. I don't know. I mean, I, you can probably tell me better, but I think there might be a, a slight push towards that. Not so much towards what I would count as ugly food, but more towards a kind of, I would say, sort of what's happened with sort of the rise of TikTok and the rise of um, reels. Um, much to my dismay, I really don't like them, but that's another kettle of fish entirely. Um, is you see a lot more videos on TikTok, for instance, that are 
just sort of, you know, they're not manicured, they're not heavily edited. They yeah. are kind of very bish bash bosh and kind of that's what I'm eating for dinner tonight. Um, I think they have their own problems. I think they sometimes, you know, there's all sorts of problems with like oversimplifying things and also, uh, you know, yeah, I, I have problems with it, you know, with short form video, but I think that maybe that is, again, there's, there's room for everything, but maybe there is a future in sort of that sort of people recording like you do what you eat day to day, sort of unedited photos and just a sort of, you know, I, I think, yeah, the, the, there's the, there's room for all right. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's there's room in this world for high end fashion designers, couturiers, but there's also room for Primark in this world. So I think that there's, you know, most people, yeah, they would they would love to own, you know, a Chanel dress, but they can only get to a Zara one right now, and that's how I, I view cooking as well. You know, yeah. If if, if 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 people had absolutely loads of time, then sure, they'd be able to make a eight-hour cooked bolognese, but they've got 20 minutes, you know? So, like, yeah. let, let's have a mixture. You know, I think that's, that's, that's the way forward, really. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure we can talk about this forever, but I'm pretty sure that I need to ask you some more food questions. <laughs> otherwise, this will just be a three-hour podcast. Uh, I'm fine with that, but I'm not sure that many people would enjoy that. Um, okay so what is your current favorite place or restaurant to eat at um right now that's also another impossible question because i don't know whether i have a particular favorite place um i'm in york so i i guess the thing is um here it's sort of an aladdin's cave of absolutely amazing food i think it's really hard i mean york's fantastic um it really is a place that has blossomed over recent years um but where would i say current places to eat at um if there was divided into sort of chains and then independence there's a chain that i'm mad about have been mad about it for maybe just over a year now and it's mowgli i'm obsessed with it love um indian food but i love the sort of new take that nisha katona the person who set mowgli up what mm-hmm. she's sort of given indian food because it's not your Indian curry house experience. It's sort yeah. of all the home cooked dishes that she grew up eating. And um, they don't have one in York where I'm from, but they have one in Leeds. So I always go right. to the one in Leeds where, when I'm there and just like fantastic, um, like the gunpowder chicken, absolutely delicious. These so chat bombs, they just sort of pop in your mouth and they sort of, they have so much flavor. The, um, the lamb and plum curry is absolutely amazing. So for, for chains, that's what I'm loving right now. Um, yeah. Independence, there are so many in York. It depends sort of what you're after. I think if, if I want something fancy, there's an absolutely fantastic restaurant in, um, in York called uh, The Star in the City. And it was set up by um, Andrew Pern, who was the same guy that um, set up the Star at Harem, which is a Michelin star restaurant um, in Yorkshire, close to Moulton. And his food's fantastic. It's sort of local produce and it's sort of classic English cookery with just a bit of a twist. There is sort of a really nice sense to being in the restaurant. It's like very sort of warm, cosy, um, but, you know, it has... You know, the menu has a bit of humour to it. It's got, I remember when they first opened, they started like they, they started putting breads in pork pie caps, you know, which, you know, some might say that's gimmicky. I thought it was quite hilarious. Um, so I, I, I love there. But then throughout York, um, York, has a, York, York gets a rap for being quite a, um, 
an undiverse place but york has some amazing international restaurants if you want japanese if you want korean if you want italian i mean it's just fantastic i would just say to anybody go to york eat out you won't be disappointed there were like you know there are no duds um but i thought about this question and there's one thing that i was, I was going to say is there is somewhere for breakfast, not in York. I was thinking places I have to eat at. When I when I go abroad, one of my favorite places to go to is Copenhagen. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this the other day. I love the Danish capital for food. It is simply stunning. Quite expensive. You have to go there with like, you know, you have to like take a mortgage out to eat. But um there is this chain of places called Grol. And Grol just specialise in porridge. And oh, porridge, wow. porridge in Denmark is like a an absolute sort of institution. I can't say whether it's different to sort of your bog standard English slash Scottish porridge. I don't think it's too different. But what marks it out is the toppings that you get. And every time I visit Copenhagen, I have to go there. And you get a lovely bowl of steaming porridge. And you choose your toppings. And their classic one includes these lovely chunks of sort of sweet and sour apple. And then these roasted almonds. Um, and then I always choose to go for a big dollop of peanut butter and then also a big dollop of skier. Yeah. And places I have to eat at every time I go, I'm like, that is my breakfast every single day. I do not want a Danish pastry. I want porridge. I love porridge. <laughs> A staple for a reason. Thank you for those. If I ever go to Copenhagen, I'll go there. Definitely. So comforting. Okay, so what kind of food did you used to dislike and now you do like? Yeah, this is a big one. So many people hate me for saying this. Um, growing up, I <laughs> I really hated bread. I really, really? Re- I really hated bread. I would not eat bread. In particular, white sliced bread. I could right. not, I could not get my head around it. I don't remember a particular moment when I was a toddler and sort of turning around and going, I don't like this mummy. But, but for as long as I can remember, just the thought of white sliced bread in particular as a sandwich really made me feel quite sick. And I just, I, I really couldn't contemplate it. Like, I think for me, it was the the texture, the sort of the the soft sort of the, the pappiness of white sliced bread. And then they were putting what I considered to be like slimy butter at the time. And I really didn't like how sort of you ate a sandwich and it sort of went into a sort of mulch as you sort of chewed into it. Um, I hadn't been exposed to the glories of sourdough baguettes and what have you and rye bread and, you know, all of these kinds of things. So that was the kind of bread that I knew. Um, but yeah, it caused quite a lot of issues. My mum was really not happy, but she did her very, very best because I wouldn't take a sandwich to school. So it was either hot dinners, which I absolutely loved, or it had to be a packed lunch, which all the kids were tucking into their ham and cheese sandwiches. And I would be getting, you know, couscous salads, pasta salads, you know, and, you know, my mum had to put in a lot of effort in order to sort of, <laughs> in order to find something that I would eat. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> that went on until i was about i want to say about embarrassingly 15 or 16 um you're gonna say older so no well yeah well then once i got to college i think i discovered like i started eating out on my own a lot more and then i discovered like oh, really right. good 
And then when I went to uni, I remember <laughs> um, I was a big fan of ha like having dinner parties at uni. I would like blow all my student loan on, you know, dinner parties. I was, That's that was amazing. Like, you know, some people would do alcohol and stuff, but I, it was, it was food for me. So I remember I would always used to go like, I, I would always have these dinner parties on a Saturday. So I'd go to the market, go and pick up ingredients. But this is how, how my thought, like sort of my opinions of bread changed. I, um, I ended up having an account with the bread man on the market because I used to buy um, bread so regularly. Um, and it was like, it was fantastic bread. I mean, you know, balls, baguettes, all sorts of amazing things. And then, you know, they'd be taken back to sort of have pre-dinner with like some really nice um, local butter. And um, yeah, now, now you can't stop me. I am a, I'm a breadaholic. And, you know, there are some people in life who don't want the bread basket before a meal. I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I just... I mean, I despair. I mean, why would you not? I mean, I, I will have the bread basket and then the meal afterwards. I mean, I'm not getting filled up by the bread basket. That's just wetting the appetite, really. <laughs> okay, well, now I'm really sad we didn't go to uni together because we would have been in the same year because we're the same age. And I'm sad I didn't come for a dinner party. That's amazing. I've never hosted a dinner party and it's my lifelong dream. I mean, I said dinner party. I mean, it was... It was how do you put it quite you cooked for others that's good I, I, I cooked for others and do you know what? they they could be quite elaborate i would spend all afternoon and bearing in mind um where i was at cambridge university the sort of the accommodation that we had the kitchens were well they are what, what are extremely small spaces and yeah. they have very little equipment you don't have an oven all you have is a a, a two hob induction stove and i mean don't get me started on an induction stove. I want a gas stove, but you had to deal with what you had. So yeah. some, somehow I could get out a three course meal somehow. And we had like, and also we didn't have like a full fridge. So we just had like these tiny little fridges in our rooms. So this tiny little fridge and I'm there like making chocolate mousses and like trying to like shove them in so that they'd set for the evening. So yeah, that was me. Oh, and also the cheesemonger. I used to spend a lot of time with the cheesemonger buying, you know, a lot of different types of cheeses. So yeah, that, that, that yeah. I love that. That is fantastic. Also, before I forget, I don't know if this is controversial, but I actually still feel that how you felt about white bread when you were little, I still feel about that now. I think I think I get you. I th I think I wouldn't choose to really have a a what can I say? Not a raw sandwich, a <laughs> cold sandwich with white sliced bread. But there are certain things for me that white slice white sliced bread. You know, there are no other breads that can replicate it for me. A bread and butter pudding has to be made with white sliced bread. And yeah, you Fair can enough. take your brioche and your challah and your you know all of that. That's luxurious. But you know, back to basics. I want the bread and butter pudding that you know my mum and dad grew up eating because that's nostalgic for me and I love that. Then. You know, a grilled cheese, sort of a cheese toasty. That's the sort of bread I want. I don't want sort of these sort of fancy cafe style grilled cheeses where like you like you need like a new set of teeth to bite through the sourdough. I don't really want that. Um, and again, come back to Nigella. One of my favourite, favourite recipes in the world is um, her mozzarella in carrozza. So mozzarella in a carriage, which is just sort of this... I don't know. Again, it's like a, a glorified Italian cheese toasty filled with mozzarella. And yeah. it's fantastic. White sliced bread all the way, you know, cheap and cheerful. I like that. I, when you said Nigella and bread, I thought you were referring to the when she did a demonstration of how you're supposed to butter toast. Um, ah, ah, yeah. She'd made her lovely loaf, waited for the butter to sink in. 
and then added another layer of butter and topped it with salt. I think iconic. I think that's amazing because she talks about um, she talks about the Danish way of buttering bread, and she's and she talks about the word that they use, tensmer. Um, this idea that the butter should be so thick um, on your loaf of on your loaf of bread that you can leave teeth marks when you yeah. bite into it. I think that's fantastic. And yes, to salt, salt all the way, definitely. People who buy unsalted butter again, something that I can't I can't really. I can't really contemplate. And also, people who sort of say that you have to bake with unsalted butter, I never see it as making much of a difference, but that's just me. I was going to say that. I was going to say I buy unsalted butter to bake. That's standard practice, but I never find... This is what I mean, maybe maybe because I've, I've got quite a, um, a salt tooth. Like I, right, like, yeah. I like a lot of salt, so I guess I don't really find sort of like salted butter all that salty. I do always have to add more salt and i also this sounds really weird um to toast just plain toast i will add not just salt but black pepper i'm a pepper fiend i black pepper so good it you know it has to be there for me and it has to be there in copious amounts i mean and, and not just toast there has to be a lot of salt and a lot of pepper whenever it comes to eggs to me they have to have an awful lot of seasoning especially on the yolk always mm-hmm I totally agree. And black pepper is one of my favourite flavours. And salt, but obviously. Um, but there's something... That I, this is going to sound really English. Um, so there's something about beans on toast where you've got loads of butter on your toast, then you mm. add your beans, and then you put loads, and I mean tons, of black pepper on top with salt. Fantastic. Black pepper on beans... It's fantastic. So I'm going to come back with another controversial opinion, and that is something else that I really struggled with growing up was baked beans. Really? Um, I still do to an extent. I love, oh, I love, I love beans in all of their sort of, their, in their myriad forms. But the idea of it's the sauce, I actually, again, something else that people will hate, I really don't like tomato ketchup. I find it just neither here nor there i can take it or leave it i'm sort of that way about most condiments sort of i don't i don't like brown sauce mayonnaise i think is there mostly usually is just to moisturize food that's too dry um salad cream i think you know my mum adores it it's a really like sort of it's a source of a certain vintage i mean i don't really want that but you know beans beans i struggled with but i do have to say i think that a bit of black pepper can perk up most foods. And I think that we sort of take it for granted because obviously we just think salt and pepper, salt and pepper. Yeah. But when, we, when you you realise actually that black pepper has an awful lot of depth to it, like it mm-hmm. has, it has, and you know, sometimes it can have real heat. If you use enough of it, you don't need chilli. You can have a real sort of, I mean, if you eat, you know, obviously like if you eat cacio pepper, I mean, that's the thing. The, the, the pepper is like bringing it, you know, to the fore. And I love that. Also, white pepper. White pepper is seen as just like school pepper, you know, dusty stuff out of the box. But I think it's wonderful. And white pepper always in white sauces, bechamel, cheese sauce, all of that. To me, white pepper has a much more sort of... Because white pepper is even hotter than black pepper. So I absolutely adore that. So white... Here's my tip for the best mac and cheese is white pepper in the in the, in the, in the white sauce and also plenty of nutmeg. That to me will ah. always be. Yeah. Right, well, now I want cheesy sauce and i don't know whether i'd like it on toast or on pasta 
quarters in a bowl. How, I mean, you talked about baked beans. How do you feel about macaroni and cheese out of a tin on toast? No. 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 confuses me. Mac and cheese in a tin. I mean, I think it's Heinz as well. They make mac and cheese in a tin on toast. Quite delicious. Mm-mm. I haven't tried that, but I feel like I might have to be forced to because I feel like I want to know what you're talking about. Spaghetti hoops? I've had that. I had those. Um, we weren't, when we were growing up, my mum was very, um, not strict, but she wanted us to eat quite well whilst we were really small. So we used to be asked what would we like for our birthday meal. And one year, I don't know how old I was, I think I was in primary school, and I said, please, can I have spaghetti hoops? Because so many of my other friends were talking about it. And I was like, what is that? Um, But speaking of my mother, she feels about um, how you feel about baked beans is how she feels about Heinz tomato sauce, sauce, soup. She absolutely hates it. Mm. Um, It's the scent. Even that would just be like, no. I get her with tomato soup. I think it tastes like the tin. I think it tastes metallic because it reacts with the reacts with the soup. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) This is not an advert for Heinz. Sorry, (laughs) babe. Okay, so what is your current favourite vegetable? Oof, okay. It's July. That means there's a lot of vegetables on offer. Yeah. Uh, and it's so hard to choose because I always go to my local greengrocer and it's just like, you know, it, it's an embarrassment of riches. But July to me, again, it's very nostalgic for me because of how much my mum loves them. And it's fresh peas. Fresh peas are such a treat and they are... That good ones are so terribly hard to come by because if you do manage to get them in the supermarkets, you just find that by the time you brought them home, all the sweet sugariness that was in the peas and all the goodness has just turned to starch. Mm. So you might as well just be eating frozen peas. So a really, really, really fresh pea is the best. And yeah, I can cook it, you know, you know, into a risotto, pea risotto is delicious. I love sort of um, petit poids la française with sort of like pancetta-y kind of stuff and you know sort of um gem lettuce that's all good but to me just eating them like straight from pod that really can't be beaten however i would say that for me july this time of year i'm more mad about fruit than i am about veg much more mad about fruit um i know i'm interrupting you but i'm we might say the same thing i had the best strawberries ever yesterday okay. and it's because they're in season and they were british strawberries so yeah. good yeah sorry i might have just stolen what you were going to say no no, no no i mean i think yeah strawberries are really good this time of year but I, I, for me the most exciting time of year is when gooseberries come into season yeah um, and again i keep on saying this it's because my mum loves them it's the nostalgia behind them but um sort of you know growing up and then sort of going to the pick your own farms and yeah like obviously like, buy loads of strawberries but you know there was something just so sort of different and sort of the sourness of gooseberries and sort of you know to me they're like so exciting and they've been in, they've been in season for a good month now and like now as you go into july sort of you get more of the the red gooseberries that sort mm. of you know they're sweeter and they're sort of ones that you can really just eat on their own without thinking um so to me july it's like it's gooseberry season it's also red currant season and you don't yeah. see them enough and they're way too expensive like mostly but 
red currants are just so delicious on their own. And I even saw the other day some um, at the green grocer some white currants, and they oh, wow. are literally the prettiest berries I think that exist. That one of the prettiest fruits really, because they just have this sort of pearlescent shimmer to them, and they just—I mean, they're stunning. I don't, you don't—you know, you don't really want to eat them, but yeah, I would say gooseberries, currants, peas. And also we're getting like corn in the husk now. So fresh corn. Yeah. Happy. Happy boy. Yeah. How about you? What do you what do you kind of love this time of year? I mean, I was gonna say asparagus, but that was last month, wasn't it? Or the month before. Um I still love asparagus. And mostly just strawberries this time of year. When you said pick your own. Um, in Northamptonshire, we have Harpole um, pick your own strawberries. And I have so many memories. This isn't about strawberries, so I don't know why I'm telling you this. But after we'd picked the strawberries, we were allowed an ice cream. Mm. Um, and I was just, it always makes me think of, do you remember those smarty ice, lo- ice cream lollies that we used to have? back in the early 2000s they were like in a tube and then they had a, the stick part where you pushed the ice cream up had smarties in it okay yeah yeah i think i do remember I don't, I don't think they sell them anymore and if they do i need to find them but they're so good and i just remember i'd been around the whole field just eating strawberries on my way and then i had an ice cream after it. great day perfect perfect day out in my opinion perfect day out and I mean, I think the, the idea that it was a good day out, like the proof of that was if you came home and basically you'd eaten all the fruit before you got there. Yeah. Really. Totally. Totally. You said Dory. Yeah. Perfect day out. Okay. So in your opinion, what is an overrated food? Okay. An overrated food. I would say that, and I mentioned Nigella's mozzarella in Carrozza. However, I think, I really do believe that mozzarella is entirely overrated. Really? I really believe that. And I, and I, and I lump in with that burrata. Yeah. I, I don't find either of them disgusting or not tasty or anything like that. However, I feel that some people are so sort of, I don't know, they're, they're so terribly obsessed with mozzarella when I often find, and maybe this is just my unrefined palate, but I find it has very little taste. It's great at melting. It's great for adding texture to dishes. But I just sort of find it a bit of a non-starter. I was thinking about the last time that I was in Copenhagen and I was there with my friend and she was really excited to go to this um, Italian style restaurant called Based and it had such good write-ups it was quite it was again like everything there it was quite expensive and when we got there in Denmark you see they, they encouraged you to do you can't just have your own starter and your own main basically it's this thing where everything that comes to the table you just kind of share it between the two of you so we couldn't have mm. what we wanted really and my friend was a vegetarian which had another wow. layer to it and anyway she basically this this restaurant amazing they had their own dairy and they're in Salumaria, so they made their own sausages and everything like that. But the dairy part of it, they made their own mozzarella, um, their own burrata. And she was obsessed with getting a ball of mozzarella to just have. And so we did. Literally a ball of mozzarella on a plate. And, you know, she was taking slices of it and saying it was the best thing she'd ever tasted and da, da, da. And I was just like, this this to me is so tasteless. It just, it, it just tastes like sort of, 
I don't know, sort of, sort of like uh, polystyrene, not polystyrene quite, but softer than that. But it, it really, to me, didn't have any distinct flavour. I could appreciate the texture. I could appreciate the milkiness and, and sort of the dairy richness, but it wasn't sort of, it wasn't sort of, satisfying and she was just there eating it with olive oil and and, and bread and um and that's another thing I, I i find overrated and again i feel like i'm a culinary heathen for saying this but olive oil i do not like it and i think that's because i don't like the taste of olives simple as i'd much rather use um a local um cold pressed rapeseed oil that for me is my favorite but i find that i i I find it really annoying when you have a lot of celebrity chefs or people on the TV and they're incredibly profligate with their use of olive oil. And you'll find that they don't just use it in Mediterranean or Middle Eastern cuisine. They will just use it wherever olive oil in for a curry or something. I'm like, no, that that's not meant to happen. And it has such a pervasive taste in my book. I just find it, 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 it ruins dishes. And I also like people frying eggs in olive oil, like the egg tastes of olive oil. No, no, no. I like those statements. I can't wait for the polls on that. (laughs) Right. Okay. And what do you think is an underrated food? An underrated food. Well, we've already spoken about black pepper. I think as an ingredient, black pepper is the most underrated thing that everybody's got in their kitchen. Yeah. Underrated foods. I think... I think in England, there are certain cuisines that are very underrated. And the one thing, and I'm extremely biased when I talk about this, but I believe that German food is extremely underrated over here. And I say that as someone who lived in Germany. I studied German for my degree. Um, But I think we just don't, I've never eaten German food over here, even in London, like I've never really found a German restaurant. And I am just evangelical about sort of spreading the sort of, the sort of, you know, real sort of hearty German grub. You know, I think that is something that people really need to sort of, you know, they really need to appreciate. I think, you know, there's so much like, you know, we we love a banger over here in the UK. We need to, get behind German sausages, get yourself down to Lidl, get yourself down to Aldi, start experimenting with some of like the German stuff that they've got because it is fantastic. And I remember having my eyes opened um, when, I, when I, um, I lived in Berlin and one of my friends had come over to visit me and I took her to this authentic German restaurant, whatever authentic means, but it was a really great experience. And basically the, the, the concept behind it was that you had um, 12 lots of what they called German tapas and they were sort of different German dishes to sort of experiment with. You know, there were lots of sausages with sauerkraut. There was lots of uh, Königsberger Klopse, these sort of German sort of meatballs and a caper lemon cream sauce. There was a batzta, which is like a Bavarian cheesy dip that you dip pretzels into while you're drinking beer. So much good stuff. So I would say, you know, get behind German food because I think it's one of the cuisines, one of the only cuisines really that is yet to be tapped into in our country mm. do you like german food um i can't think of any german food and that's where i'm concerned so you're completely right do you like like um like a pretzel like a big like a bread right, yeah Who that's so, do, you, do you like i mean hmm, well wiener schnitzel is obviously austrian but they do eat the schnitzel all over germany do you like schnitzel possibly i mean to me like 
anything that's breaded and fried is um, obviously, you know, a safe bet. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and also, I mean, who does love a Black Forest Gatto? Ah, Who's yes. So, you know, I think we need to, yeah, we, we, need, we need to appreciate Deutschland a bit more. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so who is your current favourite chef? Um, do you know what? I kind of usually stay away from chefs. I don't really like chefs as such because I just know that I can't create whatever they're making. Um, I tend towards food writers, foodie people, home cooks, home chefs. I kind of like that a bit more. We've spoken about Nigella. She has been my heroine since I was about 14. I have all of her books arranged on this shelf right now. And she has just been, you know, a real sort of light in in troubled times for me. When I, when I feel down, I read her cookbooks. And that sounds mad, but people who think that cookbooks are just sort of, sort of pages upon pages of instruction are wrong. I mean, they are places to find emotional warmth sucker real food is a great comfort obviously but you know it's more than a sense of sort of satisfying a need it's sort of to me it's intrinsically linked with sort of spirituality and who you are as a person and for me Nigella really gets that you know when she writes about food she's not writing about complex techniques and she's not writing about sort of you know you must do this you must do that she talks about what food sort of can sort of, you know, bring us all. And to me, that was that was really, really important growing up. And I think, you know, she said, um, she 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 talks about how sort of food levels us all. And it reminds me of um it reminds me of uh James Beard and, and you know he said, and I always say this quote, but he said that, you know, food is our common ground. Um, you know, it, it's universal. It's what it's one one of many things that unites us all as people. And to me, that's what's important about food. It's not about whether you have the latest trendy ingredient or whether, you know, you have sort of the dexterity to master whatever, you know, skill. I think, you know, it's about feeding yourself and feeding your your soul, really. And she, you know, she 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 really sort of gets that you know she sort of um i remember growing up and thinking it was extremely you know when you grow up as a teenager and you grow up and and being a teenager is always full of angst i found that food and the way that she portrayed it was a leveler it you know it it calmed me down it 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 didn't it it, it ceased to make me worry because at the end of the day you can you can always no matter what no, no matter what is going on in your life you can cook a meal and sustain yourself and if you can cook a meal and sustain yourself you have some control in a world that is always out of control and that meal can be really simple that meal can be cheese on toast but if you have control over that and you can do whatever you want to it to make it your own and to suit your palate it doesn't matter what outside influences are trying to sort of enforce on you then you know i think cooking is therapeutic and that's what i sort of got from nigella um yeah i completely resonate with that that is such a lovely way of putting it i couldn't have I, well you, you're a writer so there you go you completely said it 
in the best way possible. But I was going to say, I also grew up with Nigella being one of the favourites. We have all of her cookbooks. I think I have two because my grandparents gave them to me when they moved. Don't know why I'm telling you that. But we also, I don't know if you feel like this about Jamie, but my mother has every Jamie Oliver cookbook as well. So I will take a picture one day of our cookbook shelf. Um, but it has our our joint collection of cookbooks yeah. on there. And I don't know how many we have. It's probably insane. Um, but our whole bottom row of the cookbook shelf is Nigella and Jamie, the complete collections. Yeah, I, I I think that's fantastic, and I think they they go so well together. I think what what Jamie and Nigella did both together was because I was a toddler when they were doing this. What I understand is they came at a point when at the, the sort of the tail end of the celebrity chef and the sort of the tail end of of people sort of ob- frantically obsessing over dinner parties and dinner mm-hmm. party etiquette and sort of, you know, people really getting into a frenzy about how they were eating and the judgment they perceived they were getting from their friends and family over what they were presenting. And, you know, what, what Nigella and Jamie did was just go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what yeah. you put in. It literally, if you, if you add, three carrots instead of two will it make any difference no of course it won't they added a sense of not just fun but a sense of relaxation to cooking and they turned it into something that was far more than delia smith teaching you how to boil an egg and again yeah. I, i've said from the beginning cooking food is a broad church there, there is room for for delia because without delia many people would feel too scared to cook some people need rigid instruction yeah but then there are other people who just need to know that it doesn't matter and that no matter if they try it will be fine and if it's disgusting then let's be honest here there's rarely anything that's not salvageable it might not taste the best but as Nigella says the one thing that she believes isn't salvageable is over salting really she doesn't believe that that can you can sort of get away from that but most things, you know, they taste fine. And it's and it's all sort of, it, it, it's all a journey. What you cook doesn't have to be, we're coming back to, you know, things not being perfect, things being ugly. It, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I remember reading Nigella's books growing up and it would be like, she'd even say, um, yeah, this, um, like there'll be obviously the pr- lovely, lush professional photographs, but she'd be like, oh, when I was making this for the photograph, I forgot to put this ingredient in. So um, I've kind of just like put it at the back of the photograph just to give you an idea of what should go in it. And it was this sort of, yeah, this this real sort of relaxed way about her. And and yet, and yet incredibly intellectual and her, her thoughts on food and its place within within society and culture you know they 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 really really struck me so i would read her books like a you know like a like a like a narrative you know that they're they're, you know they're prose and i think that that really really struck a you know a a chord with me growing up it really did and 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 still does to this day i think I, i don't obsess about her as much as i used to when i was a teenager um and there are various other people that I absolutely love. You know, we've spoken briefly about Nish Katona. I think she's amazing. Yeah. I think she's doing things to Indian food, but not just Indian food. You know, she talks about food in a way that is really accessible and really fun. You know, when she talks about a curry, she talks about it 
you know, I think I grew up thinking, you know, you have to have a million different one, a million, a million and one spices to make a curry. She goes, you just need three spices. You know, you just need the mother of all curries, which she calls, I mean, right here, turmeric, and then the father of all curries, chili powder, and then whatever else you're adding, whether it's garam masala, whatever it is. And so liberating, so, so liberating, I feel. Access, accessibility is key. I'll tell you who I hate, though. I know hate is a strong word. That sounds quite terrible. I don't hate them because obviously he does some fantastic work. However, I am not what I would call a huge fan of Ottolenghi. I am not. Because I think as much as his food tastes absolutely wonderful, I think his obsession with fusion, creative as it is, is not accessible or not i think that food can be challenging in quite a provocative philosophical way i think that his sort of his books are out of are out of the reach of sort of 95 percent of people you know they contain very very sort of out there ingredients you know we're not just talking about harissa paste or something like that it's kind of things that are just not really what 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 everyday people eat mm. and i, I and I do sort of, I do sort of worry about, um, I do sort, I do sort of worry about food like that. I don't know why. I don't know how you feel about him. What do you think? I love Ottolenghi, but it's because I love his flavors, and I would say I completely agree that the recipes in the previous cookbooks are really hard to find and you do have to find specific things and you do have to set aside an afternoon to make a recipe but if you like that that's absolutely fine but what I was going to say is I'm not saying it completely takes him out because I, I still think it's somewhat relevant but he's released two test kitchen cookbooks so they're shelf love. Shelf shelf love. love yeah and they I have that cookbook had the first one, the pink and red one, I think visually. Um, that has more accessible ingredients in it. So mm-hmm. if you, I would urge you to try one of the Shelf Love cookbooks if you don't yeah. like the original Ottomangi recipes because they're too much faff, if that's too crass to say. Uh, no, I, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it, because the thing is, uh, he, you know, I think he's incredible the way he thinks about food. Of course he is. Um, I, I do. I do just sometimes think about accessibility, and I also come to the yeah. point where I just, you know, even if I'm preparing for, a, for, you know, not a dinner party, but for a gathering, for instance, it's not just the long list of ingredients that put me off. It was sort of how in the <laughs> within the ingredients list. There was an awful lot of mise en place before you even get to the recipe, yeah, and everything like soak so, this overnight, <laughs> and everything so prescriptively, sort of detailed in how it should be cut up and things like that. And and I and I worry. I just think maybe the, the audience he's going for is already a very foodie audience who you know, who, who know their stuff already. And, and to them, that's kind of, you know, that's what they're into. But I, 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 I worry that, you know, people grow up, people who are teenagers coming, you know, they go to university and they see, okay, so what kind of, who am I, who am I going to learn to cook off? Mm. And I, I just, I wouldn't want them to be, you know, I, I, I never want people to be, to, 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 to be, to be put off by, by thinking that if it's not cut yeah. into, you know, 
whatever so many centimeter dice it won't be good um but again we've said time and time again it's a broad church and i think there are different people there are different ways of learning how to cook you know some people are they they want that real sort of buy the book the recipe and they find that really comforting it was always like you know i did a language degree and there were always people who were either side of the argument there were people not me who lived off grammar books and they lived off you know learning rules whereas i was a person who was just like i'm just going to speak the language make mistakes and then just see how we'll go and then learn for the future there's no judgment on either side it's just we're we're all different and that's what's great about food is the different opinions that we all bring to it really definitely i'm not going to say anymore because that was perfectly put um okay so which is your favorite ring on the hob Bottom right. I don't really know how to describe it. I mean, it, it has to be a it has to be a gas stove. I won't yeah. be having electrical induction. I just think you have much greater control of heat when you're using gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that most people who have induction stoves are needlessly poncy, if I'm perfectly honest. And I think it's just because it makes their kitchen look nicer. Um, because also, I do not want to have something where if I lift the pan off, it's going to turn the heat source off. Oh no. So, Flipping pancakes is not fun when you're doing that, you know. Yes. And, and, also, and also, if you want, for instance, if you have any desire to cook Asian food and you want a wok, I mean, what good is an induction yes. wok? What no. good? On um, the same page, totally. But I guess I just like the bottom right because it's the biggest one and I'm impatient. <laughs> Valid answer. I don't know. I like that. Great way of putting it. Okay, for the final meal. Final meal. Ah, that is so hard, isn't it? Right. Okay. So it's your final meal ever. You have no boundaries on how much you can eat. What will you be having and why? So what is your starter or starters of choice? Right. First, you're going to start with a drink. I am, if I'm, if I'm dying, I want as much drink as is humanly possible. I want to go out with a smile on my face. Absolutely. Or at the very least with my eyes rolled in the back of my head. That would be perfect. Um, So to start with, My go-to, my aperitivo of choice is always a Negroni. Has to be. My favourite drink. Love it, love it, love it. I think it sets you up for a meal. It's refreshing, sort of cleanses your palate in a great way, sort of whets your appetite. Um, I think that is the greatest cocktail. I don't particularly, I mean, I don't love a cocktail with a mixer. It's pure alcohol. I want want my one-part gin, my one-part Campari, my one-part vermouth. And I'm a happy boy. I really am. I mean, you can take it other ways. You can make it a bit more, you know, Russian with vodka instead of gin. You could put some Prosecco in there. Give me a Negroni Spagliato, you know. But, you know, if I'm my last meal, what is there? Not really much to celebrate. So I don't think we'll go for that one. Um, I definitely have a Negroni. And then with these tiny little Italian snacks as a little canapé, which... um, I don't know that you've seen them at Tarali and they're just like these sort of like ring shaped, crunchy bread, sticky things. And I like the ones that are flavored with chili flakes. Cause I just think I like a bit of heat, which I think is perfect with the alcohol. But have that first. Then starters. I want <laughs> a board filled yeah. with so many different kinds of meaty treats. Mm-hmm. So many things I have nostalgia for. First thing I want arancini balls. Because yeah. I am obsessed with arancini. I could eat them all day long. And they come from this Sicilian 
cafe that I used to go to all the time in Cambridge and they used to do them filled with uh, bolognese ragu and like stretchy cheese. Um, amazing. They're, they're the first bit. Then I think there would have to be some really good black pudding. Yeah. I just love yeah. black pudding, sort of like Spanish tapas style, like morcilla or like the French sort of the, the smoother kind, the boudin noir. I love that. Earthy, delicious, just gorgeous in my book. Then I think maybe a bit of fish. I'd like some like frito misto. Like I like a bit of batter. Like um, I, I remember having this amazing like frito misto um Polpo in Covent Garden in London and it was like this the best like collection of like prawns and hake and white bay and all good stuff like that and then just like you know just some like meats on the plate to like pick out throughout the evening whether it's like you know some mortadella maybe a bit of enduya all of that I can eat as much as I want so I'm gonna go for all of that exactly I thought I was about to ask you what drink we started with that. Great. Okay, so what are you having for your main or mains of choice? Main, I think I'll go back to my mum, but let's make it a little bit more sophisticated. You know, I think we'll go for a a beef stew, but let's make it something like a buff bourguignon, like something with a really sort of deep amount of flavour. I think that's what I'd really want. Lots of pancetta, lots of really sort of tender, slow-cooked beef, those tiny little pearl onions. I absolutely adore those. Um, And then I think it's got to be with, you know, what I grew up loving, mashed potato. It has to be the perfect mashed potato. Me and my mum growing up, we have argued till we have been blue in the face about mashed potato. She likes hers quite solid. I like mine quite soft. I quite like, maybe for my final meal, I'd have aligo, that sort of, um, that French mashed potato with so much cheese in it. And like when you put it on the plate, it sort of spreads. It has a bit of a life of its own. To me, that would be perfection. So buff bourguignon, I think, with some some cheesy mashed potato kind of thing and then maybe some like orange roasted carrots or something like that you know a a little bit of veggies to make it a bit fresher yeah i think that'll be perfect for me and what drink are you having with your mains oh what drink am i having my mains oh that's really hard i don't know i mean i can drink whatever i want i mean i'm not gonna go i mean i as much as I love beef bourguignon, I don't like to drink red wine. I mean, I, I'm full of contradictions, full of contradictions. No judgment. No so judgment. would I have, would I, would I have a drink, would I have a, like a huge glass of white wine? Or maybe yeah. rosé, something like that. Depending on what, you know, where I'm dying, I think. I think if it's somewhere, you know, nice and hot, I think maybe, you know, a nice <laughs> cold glass of... <laughs> you know or whatever would be quite good well um, you can choose the place if you're apparently dying i just said final meal <laughs> i well I, I kind of i'm imagining i'm on a desert i think that's the thing i'm imagining i'm on a desert island dying i've got no way out i've got this last meal so i think a like a carafe of wine would 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 just about do me i think so <laughs> has to be done okay so what are you having for your side or sides of choice i don't know i mean I, I don't okay, I mean I've eaten quite a lot already um, I don't know buff bourguignon with mash what do I want as a side I mean it doesn't have to match there are so many things that I could eat I mean it could just be you know 
Do you know, I think as, as the last side I would ever eat, it would kind of have to be the best chips I've ever eaten. It would have to be, I guess. Um, and I'm not quite sure what they are. I think they have to be a combination of two things. They have to be, they have to have the, the, the texture of, I don't know if you've ever had the chips from the ivy, but somehow... They yes. have an unrivaled texture to them, but they would have to come with like an absolute sort of bucket load of parmesan on top, and I think mm-hmm. that might be, and also some garlic maybe in there. Mm-hmm. Come back to Nigella, a Tuscan fries where she sort of puts the fries in cold oil and sort of like heats up the like just cloves of garlic and herbs in the oil to give the. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. So I think those sorts of chips they would yeah they'd be a great side. Totally agree. And what drink are you having with your sides? <laughs> I, I, I just, I just think more wine. I think more wine. Yeah. I think, I, I think I, I, I'm happy with wine. I'm to be honest, I'm happy with anything. I'm not particularly fussy when it comes to alcohol. I mean, even no chips. Chips would be good with a great beer, like a really cold yeah. beer, and nothing, nothing fancy. I mean, I'm sick of seeing IPAs everywhere. I mean, just ugh, get rid. <laughs> but just an unfussy sort of beer and chips yeah that sounds really good nice any other sides or are you okay with just the chips i think i'm good because i've i think for dessert i've got something big coming i think i've yeah mm. okay great leads me on to the actual question so what do you have for your pudding or puddings of choice a big fat massive trifle yeah. has to be trifle in any sort of permutation it can be like mm-hmm. you know grandmother's ruin kind of trifle which has enough sort of sherry in it to sink you know a battleship um and bird's eye custard and you know sort of and jelly and all that stuff or it can be you know a chocolate brownie trifle with chocolate custard i mean that is just absolute heaven or even there's one that i used to make for the sort of the dinner parties that i used to have at uni because trifle could be put in my little fridge um which was um Again, another Nigella. It was her Anglo-Italian trifle, which had this sort of um, layered upon the sort of Madeira cake was, um, you know, copious amounts of limoncello and then um, and then blackberries. And then, like, instead of custard, it has sort of like a tiramisu layer to it. And I used to make that constantly. Constantly, I was addicted to it. So I think, yeah, any sort of trifle. And I just want the dish, a big trifle dish and, like, a ladle. Yeah, I mean, controversially, I would have said a tiny spoon would be better, but it's up to you on what kind of spoon you'd like. I think I'd be in a hurry. I think I'd be in a hurry. Get it in as quickly as possible. (laughs) And what drink are you having with your trifle? Now, as much as I love a bitter cocktail, like a Negroni to start a meal off, I'm such a fan of a dessert cocktail. I am... I can make myself sick after a meal because I'll have dessert and then dessert in a glass, basically. So it's right. been one of two things. It has to either be, if I'm feeling more sophisticated before death, it's going to have to be an espresso martini because yeah. that's a classic for me. But it has to be made with good coffee and it has to be strong. I cannot stand it when you go to a restaurant and it's overly sweetened and it oh, just has no body to it at all it's just all coffee liqueur and the coffee just tastes sour and yeah yeah, 
I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not a fan of that. And you can sort a of. Good one, man. And yeah, a really good one. And you can sort of stick your chocolate-covered coffee beans because you know I don't really need that. You know. Oh really? My special martini. No, oh, I, I, mean, I even those cocktails. You know, I, I just want what's in the glass. That's Fair. good enough. I remember we. Um, I, I was with my sister and we were staying at this uh, hotel in Italy, and um, and it was it was really fancy yeah. and you know I, I loved every aspect of it. But I remember ordering espresso martinis and every single drink that came out that came a plate full of macarons. <gasps> and I was like, "This lovely, thank you, but this is too much. This is way too much." That's the dream. Yeah, I know. Every single cocktail that we ordered came out with three macarons. Right. Okay. Well, I um, go there. But if we're not having an espresso martini, there's a real retro drink that I have great fondness for, and it's a grasshopper. I oh. absolutely love a grasshopper. You know, just sort of. It's luridly green, which I think has great sort of camp appeal. And that yeah. sums me up. That sums me and my character up to a T. So I think that's fantastic. And I love the flavour of it. You know, creme de monde, creme de cacao blanc. I mean, it, you know, it, it's a cocktail with cream in it. You know, you don't get much better than that, in my opinion. <laughs> so that sort of minty cocktail sweet but it's kind of refreshing the liquid equivalent of an after eight yeah i think that would seal the deal perfect okay and will you be partaking in a cheese horse i think i would However, I am not very classic when it comes to a cheese board. I am not the sort of person, you know, you watch all sorts, I, I, I especially thinking of like, you know, Ina Garten, you know, at the Barefoot Contessa, you know, she's always making cheese boards and she goes on about balance and you've got to have this kind of cheese, that kind of cheese. I am definitely a, a, a hard white cheese kind of guy. I don't really like blue cheese. I'm not a big fan of soft cheeses. I would have something like a really good cheddar but what i want is a a vintage cheddar that has um you know the sort of um god what you call it it's like it's crunchy you can taste like the crunchy bits of salt in it it's like got a really nice crystalline texture that is a sort of cheddar i'd love and then um i'd put that alongside some comte i think that is to me delicious like alpine cheese some Emmental, maybe some Gouda, all of that kind of stuff. And I think I'd finish the cheese board off with just some plain digestive biscuits, mm-hmm. some sea salt and black pepper crackers. Mm-hmm. And then to me, the king of all grapes, the black sable grape, better than, better than green, got a really like, nice firm texture. I hate it when you bite into a grape and it's soft. That is like the worst thing. Um, so, yeah. And then I think I would be ready to leave this mortal coil very happily. I'm sorry to go back to the cheese board, but I have a question. Yeah. Do you put butter on your crackers before the cheese or is that sin? I wouldn't. Um, (laughs) I I think the only sort of cracker that I'd ever butter would be a cream cracker because they're drier than, I don't know, the Sahara. But... (laughs) No, I, I, don't, I don't think I would. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody that, that I know butter crackers. No, before they put cheese on them anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, no, that, that would be an abomination, really. No. Fair enough. Good to know your stance on that. Right, okay. And what drink are you having to end the whole meal? The end of the whole meal. 
what's it going to be? It might just be a really... Do I have something really luxurious? Like, just something... It's my last meal on earth. I think... Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a drink that I had in Prague, and it was in this great little bar. I can't remember the name of it, but it was Ernest Hemingway's favorite bar in Prague, and they did these ridiculously fancy cocktails. But because it was Prague, really cheap, and it was so original, I never had it. So it was basically a glass, like a, a coupe of champagne, yeah. and then in the middle of it was a scoop of mandarin sorbet wow and then they sort of when they brought it over they they spritzed like a jasmine spray around it but the combination of like the, the fizzy the fizzy champagne with sort of the, the the sherbety sort of sorbet i think in italian they have something similar they have a scroppino i think i think that, that's a very similar kind of thing but to me that was just like decadence pure decadence so i think that's yeah, I think I think I think I think that's how I end. I think it would be like celebratory. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling me your final meal. It was amazing. A lot of food, a lot of food, but that's what that's what's good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what biscuits have you been eating this week? Biscuits. Um, what I've been eating. I love a rich tea, and I eat rich teas on the daily. And really? there are some people that say they don't like them. However, I'm obsessed. However, I caveat that by saying that I'm only obsessed with them when they're dunked in tea. If they're not dunked in tea, they're pretty useless. But there is something so transformative about dunking a rich tea that it, it sort of gains a personality. So, I, I mean, I could literally, I could eat a full packet of rich teas and just, you know, I wouldn't blink. Mm-hmm. Um I had a couple of Viscounts. I love a Viscount. Again, like from like having the grasshopper in my last meal, I kind of, I love that sort of chocolate minty thing going on. Yeah. I think, I think that's really good. Um, yeah, I don't know that I've eaten any more biscuits. However, I did get a craving the other day and I was trying to think what they were called. And I used to think, like if I used to go to like a car boot sale when I was younger, and you know, they're like people who like car boots, like they sell like, I don't know, like chocolate bars and biscuits that are like past their, best yeah. before day. and i always remember these long thin things and they had they were like covered in chocolate and they had like biscuit on the bottom and then like a a, a soft a chocolatey moussey thing like on top of the biscuit and i remembered well after a bit of research that they were called um echoes fox's echoes and they had like plain like like a plain chocolate and a mint chocolate version and i just remembered those and i would really want one but they don't make them anymore, so that's quite sad. That's so sad. Sorry for making you relive that. <laughs> okay, and what do you rate each of those out of ten? Rich tea dunked, ten out of ten. Yeah. Rich tea not dunked, two out of ten. Viscount, a decent seven. I mean, it 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 could be better, but it's you know. To be fair with the Viscount, it's kind of all in the wrapper. It's that like silver, not silvery, um, that sort of shiny green wrapper. And like, mm-hmm. you know, unwrap it like a present. And I think that's kind of part of the excitement of the Viscount. So maybe sort of five for the biscuit and seven for the wrapper. Um, yeah. And those Fox's Echoes, I mean, what is nostalgia? But, you know, 
a 10 out of 10 it's got to be i remember those like they were just if i had one now i'd probably hate it but back then they were 10 out of 10 <laughs> well thank you for that and speaking of discontinued things so must have been two weekends ago or i don't know we were watching england versus australia rugby and there was an advert on the pitch for cadbury breakaway bars and I was like, they were great. What happened to those? They're not in England anymore. Really? No. And now I want one because I can't have one. They used to be so good. They used to be yeah. so nice. I mean, that sort of, those sorts of biscuits where you have sort of a limited amount of biscuit encased in thick chocolate. Yeah. I mean, I am such a fan of those. There was also, you know, do you remember Rocky Bars? Yes. Again, so good. And also, um, you can still get these. The um, oh, Who makes them? Is it McVitie's? The All Gold Bar, which has like yeah. biscuit and sort of, it's not caramel on the outside, but it's it's kind yeah. of similar. Yeah. I'm yeah. Have that love of biscuits there. Okay. So do you have any local businesses you would like to give a shout out to? Um. There are so many. I mean, I said earlier on, there are so many restaurants in York that are absolutely fabulous. So I just think mm-hmm. that, you know, anybody who, like, comes to York, just, you know, really just enjoy the independence because they're all fabulous. They're all mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. And, you know, they they really make York into a place I'm so proud to call home and some place that I'm really, really, you know, proud to come from. You know, I proudly say that I'm from York. But there are a couple of businesses that really have made a great, difference to my life and the first one is definitely um our local butchers richardson's of woodthorpe and they are an amazing butcher um all my life i've known him you know the head butcher martin and he's been a constant fixture of my life you know my mum buying sausages mints you know for all those meals that would be with potato um and you know he's a fabulous man with fabulous produce and you know he makes you know all of all of his wonderful meat products you know that they, they make um that they make cooking a real joy and likewise there are a couple of green grocers um close to me that are just fabulous and they cater to absolutely everybody's needs and they're so fantastic there's one the green grocer of Acom, who is quite close to me and then there's another one on the infamous bishy road in york which is renowned for all of its um foodie spots and millies they're fantastic for all your fruit and vegetable needs um but yeah apart from that like i said um all the restaurants in york are you know each one of them that i've ever visited has given me something and brought me a new you know perspective on food life culture you know they they all do that through the you know the love the care that they put into their food so um so yeah that that's that that's what i'd recommend is those two specific to me um retailers but I just recommend York in general. Come to York. We all want to, we want to have you all. <laughs> okay, well, that's some bit. I'm going to have to make a trip to York. Definitely, you should do. It's um yeah, I mean it's beautifully it's beautifully like just, it's pretty as well. It's so historic. There's so much going for it, so yeah, it's um it's it's a real jewel in the crown of the north, really. Absolutely. I've not been 
yet, but I have a friend who lives there, so I will have to make a trip. Okay, so where can people find you? Um, so people can find me at the Yorkshire Gourmet uh, on Instagram. Um, I'm currently um, in the process of sort of figuring out what I'm going to do with my life in terms of making food writing a real career prospect. So I'm looking at freelancing, writing articles, and start pitching stuff like that. I, whilst I was at university, I wrote for the. Um, uh, whilst I was at Cambridge, I wrote for the uh, university paper. So you can also oh, go to the TPS website and the Cambridge student. I was food and drink editor there for three years. So you can find some of my more politically based um, uh, writings there on issues such as food and sexism, uh, food and racism, uh, and also something that is really topical today. Uh, and I'm a fierce advocate of it is uh, writing about food poverty, uh, food scarcity, and um that is what i hope to do in my writing just apart from create recipes um okay. it's to highlight the the real steps forward that need to be made in addressing the um the real the real hunger problem that we have in our country yeah definitely well thank you for those and all of the links to um jack will be well everywhere i was going to say they'll be in the description but they'll literally be everywhere Okay, well, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I've absolutely loved our chat. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much, and I'll probably speak to you in the very near future. Anyway, so, bye. Amazing, bye. How fantastic was that chat with Jack about all kinds of food stuff, from childhood favourites to favourite foods to foods we dislike to chefs we love to chefs Jack doesn't particularly enjoy um, and so many other things including Instagram and I don't know why I'm repeating all of this you've just listened to the episode and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Butcher Baker Podcast Maker it means the world to me so thank you so much so if you would like to find Jack on Instagram, he is at the Yorkshire Gourmet and he will be linked everywhere um, on this podcast. And if you still can't find it, please check on the podcast Instagram because he'll be linked in the social posts. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Butcher Baker Podcast Maker. If you would like to hear more, there are plenty in the back catalogue over the series. If you are new, there are loads to listen to. But if you are new and you haven't already subscribed yet and you think you would like to, please do on your favourite podcast listening platform because then you will get a new episode every other week. If you would like to see more from the podcast, including exclusive content on socials and on the website, why not follow Butcher Baker Podcast Maker on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and TikTok. And then there is also content on the website butcherbakerpodcastmaker.com. So feel free to check those out if you'd like to see more food stuff. Moving on to cookbooks of the last fortnight. So first in line is Jane's Patisserie Celebrate by Jane Dunn. And if you are a fan of baking, you will know how excited I was when this came out. Um, and 
If you're a fan of Jane's Patisserie, you will know that it's an absolute no-brainer to buy it. It is fantastic, and I've already made two, no, three recipes from it, and I only got it two weeks ago, so I think that's pretty good. Yeah, that's lovely. And the second cookbook of the fortnight is Mob Comfort by Mob Kitchen, or Mob as they're now known. Um, I love Mob. You guys know that. If you've listened or seen anything, listened to the podcast for long enough or seen any of my personal socials um, at Daily Jemima Wilch, if you want to see any of that, um, you will know I am a massive fan of Mob Kitchen and have been for years and their comfort food book is so good. Um, We made quite a lot of the recipes this week, the week that I'm talking to you now, not back in the day, back in the day, back in the month I recorded this episode um, and so many recipes are just super delicious and they are comforting. So if you like comfort food and you like Mob Kitchen or Mob, because they're just known as Mob, I need to transition to that, I would totally recommend. And now for the music portion of recommendations. Um, So I am going to Reading Festival the weekend after this episode goes out um and i am very excited because one of my all-time favorite bands is arctic monkeys and they are headlining so i am to say i'm excited is a definite understatement um and in preparation for seeing them live for the first time ever i have been listening to all their albums but I'm going to recommend to you to listen to Favourite Worst Nightmares Um, and I'm going to be really basic and say AM as well because it's a banger every single track no, to be fair, I am biased almost every album by almost every album apart from Tranquility Base Hotel every album apart from that Absolute banger after banger. So if you like indie music, and I'm who am I even kidding? Everyone would have listened to the Arctic Monkeys, but this is your sign to listen to the Arctic Monkeys because it'll make your day better. And my second music recommendation I'm going to be making is a band called Police Car Collective. They have several singles and they have one album. Very good if you like indie music. Very lovely. I totally recommend. Very excited to see them at Reading. This is my last music recommendation because if anyone knows me uh, or has spoken to me briefly and I was talking about music, you will know that I am a massive fan of a band called Bring Me The Horizon. If you like rock music, I recommend them. If you don't, please just skip them because I don't think you'll like... Their older stuff. You might like their new stuff. And they're also at Reading, so I couldn't pass on the opportunity to talk about them because I am so excited. And um, I say that in an excited tone. I've seen Bring With Horizon, I don't know how many times. Maybe at five times. Um, but I love them, so I'm very excited. And I will stop talking about music because this is a food podcast. Thank you for indulging me in that. That is the end of the music section. If you are listening to this on Apple or Spotify and you feel like leaving a a review, that would be lovely. So if you could do that, that would be fabulous because it um, allows more people to find the podcast. But if you don't want to leave a review, 
and you still want to say that you've listened to the podcast and you thought it was all right, why not share it on your stories and tag the podcast at Butcher Baker Podcast Maker? Because I'd love to see if you're listening to this. That'd be great. Thank you in advance. So, foodie friends, I hope you're having a lovely day whilst you're listening to this and I hope you have a good week or whatever the time is or day is. I hope you're having a fabulous time. Uh, Stay hydrated. Thank you so much to Jack for coming on the podcast. Sorry if I've missed anything. I have been editing this for the majority of today. I hope you're all well and I will speak to you very soon. Goodbye! series where we get to know a little bit more about the foods people enjoy from recipe favorites to biscuit chat.